0: today 's reading comes from Acts twelve about that time, Herod the King laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering after the Passover to bring him out the, out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Peter is rescued. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, "'You are out of your mind.' But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, "'It is his angel.' But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, "'Tell these things to James and to the brothers.' Then he departed and went to another place. Now when they came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter.' And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them and the people were shouting the voice of God and not of man immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last but the word of God increased and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service bringing with them John whose other name was Mark this is God's word
1: praise the Lord Hey, guys, let's pray together. Thanks, sis. Lord Jesus, um, thank you that we can gather together and remind ourselves that by your grace, we're not crazy. Um, That you rose from the dead and you're enthroned as king. And we can um, worship you and then see evidence of your grace as we look at scripture and what you've written down. And Lord, we pray that you would allow each one of us right now to receive uh, your training, receive the understanding of the world as you have made it, Lord. Pray that there'll be an excitement in the room to learn about you, Christ, uh, that we would come to your word humbly. We would not come to your word above it, but we would sit under the authority of scripture. Your Holy Spirit would guide us. Holy Spirit, would you be gracious to use me? Speak through my words. Um, Speak to me. If there's anything that could hinder your kingdom being extended, would you strike it down and just guide, just graciously guide me and the people of God here so that we don't uh, miss our blessing right now. We love you, Jesus, and we just pray that you would be exalted. Um, Reveal your word to us in Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys, you may be seated and open up your Bibles. Uh, Obviously, we're in Acts chapter 12 and we um, study books of the Bible in our local community you see pastor leon's passing on a bible if you need one you can go ahead and raise your hand and he'll get one uh to you guys just a little few a few ground rules uh, we just like to always share that uh, please ask questions if they if you feel like they will be an encouragement to the body as we're just trying not to just learn more but we really want to be able to worship Christ through our understanding. And so we see that as happening when we as a covenant community are participating. So please um, understand that's our flow and that's our rhythm, have the freedom to do that. we, we, we do different things. Usually if there's a big chunk of text, I'll just go ahead and, and, ex, and take the passage and, and walk through it with us. Um, I try to do something different today to see what happens as we read the word once. And then we're going to go through it again and see us just keep getting all this word. So that's our, our heart desire there, that the Lord would, would um, be using his word. We trust uh, in the power of, um, of God using scripture and that hopefully our studying the word would help us in worship. Because there's a lot to cover um, and we've had a lot of fun doing a lot of cool things, exalting Christ, I'm going to jump right in. just want to ask you guys, um, if you are new to our series, uh, stay and hang out and enjoy the rest of the series. Uh, I want to ask you to go to our website and maybe do a little catch up on 11 chapters. There's a little homework for you Um, and just know uh, where our flow is. I'll probably summarize next week um, to catch us up to where we are now. But we're in chapter 12. Uh, we've seen in the last couple of chapters, um, as God has now is establishing his people, we've seen uh, kind of like an entrance of, of Saul, who is now Paul. He hated Christians, got Christians killed, uh, becomes a Christian, uh, and then begins to pr- uh, pursue Christ and preach the gospel. Then we see an entrance of Peter back in the, in the, uh, in the journey a little bit. Um, as a leader, um, we begin to see... Uh, the, the gospel began to reach not only just Jerusalem, not only Samaria, but the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, this is what we've seen, that, the, that God has saved his people, he's grafted his people, he's poured his spirit in his people, and he's sent them on mission, and that that mission is being accomplished, and things are expanding for God's glory, okay? And so now we enter into this piece here in chapter 12, and there's many things that we're, that I think we're going to learn from this passage. Um, what's going on practically, though, I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons the author put this here is because we're beginning. We're going to see kind of an exit of, of Peter, and then we're going to see kind of an entrance of Paul. So Peter kind of gets most of the airplay. This is more for you Bible study guys as you're um, reading the scriptures. Peter gets most of the airplay uh, between chapters 1 through 12. And then you're going to see this huge switch uh, between Peter and then Paul. In Acts 13, all the way through chapter 28. And then you get like a little cameo appearance of Peter in 15 and things of that sort. But for the most part, uh, this is one of the ways that the author is kind of transitioning characters, um, but showing you what God is doing in the world. Praise the Lord. We're going to jump right in. I uh, want us to be encouraged to see this story. Always remember, put your first century glasses on if you can. Just um, be a first century Jew. See it from their perspective and see what God is doing here. And ask yourself, what questions are being asked of the people that, they, that God was trying to answer? And then from that, ask yourself what questions are being asked in your community as you're on mission? And what questions are being asked of yourselves that the scriptures are answering, okay? Keep those before you as you're reading through the text and as we're studying the scriptures. You guys ready to rock? All right, verse 1, you ready? All right, it says in the scriptures, about that time, we just, uh, about that time, Herod, uh, the king, laid violent hands on some who had belonged to the church. Now, remember, churches now begin to be persecuted. Actually, by the persecution of the church, we begin to see an extension of God's hand in other places, right? Well, now we're seeing, uh, it says that Herod, this king, is, uh, is laying hands and, and doing, doing bad things to people in the church and, and that he's basically a mean brother who's an enemy of the church, right? Author uh, gives you insight, which is, which is, which is, um interesting of the motivation behind why he's doing what he's doing right in verse three look what he says i'm sorry in verse two it says he killed james the brother of john with the sword in verse three and when he saw that it pleased the jews right he proceeded to arrest peter also you see that and so i want to propose to you what's interesting here is um is in essence, it, it doesn't even tell you like why he killed James. Uh, what, you, what you do know is a couple of things. You know that uh, basically people were very frustrated with this, these groups of people called the way, which are these people who now who are called Christians, and we got that from last week. They're frustrated with these guys, so you knew that some of the Jews didn't like the Christians, right? And, and it seems right now that here it was a people pleaser in, uh, in verse 3, and so I don't even know if there was a, relig- a religious or judicial conviction behind why he even killed these guys. It seems to me to be a political prey, right? A political play. And, and you know what the issue is? It seems to me that he loved the praise of men. That, that I just think it's interesting that, man, if he killed someone because he loved more what people thought, that would just be really sad. But have we seen this before? Have you seen this before? Where have you seen this at? Being a political move to, to kill Christians, to get on the good side of the Jews. Yeah, you see you see and you see this on Pilate, but you also see this in Herod in, in, in chapter um, three of Luke, right? Uh, when right when he puts John the Baptist in prison, right? Right? To just, to, to to get some, some, some street cred as it were. So so basically we see that this guy is basically motivated by by people's influence, by what people think about him. And I just want to pause. This is not the sermon, but I I, I had to pause for myself and want to encourage you as your pastor. Think about what happens to a person when they're they're overtaken, when they're overpowered by what people think about them. Does anyone in this room struggle with pleasing people? People pleaser, care about what others think about you? I mean, think about it. This guy killed people because of that reason. (laughs) And this, again, this is, not the, this is not the sermon here, but I thought, man, it, it, there's, there's some implications in scriptures that I almost want to pause sometimes. And I thought about this. I thought, man, it's interesting. When I, I want to be careful in my own life, I realize that I'm a people pleaser when I really want to be an influencer of people. Now, what I mean by that is that if I really want people, if I want to have sway in people's life, I'm going to probably want to do things to make sure I can have that sway. And so I just want to encourage us to pause and just to ask the Holy Spirit to allow us to be way more concerned about what Jesus thinks than what people think. And there's a myriad of reasons why we want to do that. But one in particular, what I've seen with all of us who struggle with we've with people pleasing is it messes up your discernment. Right? Is It's hard to have good discernment. Talk about bad discernment. I mean, this guy here begins to fight against Jesus. Yikes. Right? So the author doesn't even tell us why he does it, but we see him doing this. And and it says in, in verse 3, it says, This was during the days of unleavened bread, right? So we got the Passover going on right now. Notice this in verse 4. And when he had seized him, seized James, he put him in prison, delivered him over, I'm sorry, Peter, uh, deliver him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out of the people. So out uh, to the people. So what do we have here? You have James. One of the leaders gets killed. You know, the church knows what's going on. And then you got Peter and guess what they're about to do to Peter. What do you think they're about to do to Peter? They're going to kill him. This is, I want us to put our first century glasses on. What's happening here is Peter being put in jail. And the only reason he's not dead already is because of the Passover. Can I propose to you why that he waited after the Passover? Because this guy was so into people pleasing. He knew that all the Jews and all the different people would be coming during the time of Passover. But he also knew during the time of Passover, people are doing all kinds of stuff. And so if he did something like that, he wouldn't get the kind of attention he wanted because people would be too busy doing other things. And so actually, I want to propose to you that he waited till he wanted to wait till after Passover so that the people would still be in the region, but they wouldn't be focusing in on Yahweh. Right, I want to say it's personally motivated. So he puts all these guards around him. And he's thinking, man, when I kill this guy, people are going to really love me. This is the leader. This is the leader. Right? Look what happens here. Um, It says, so Peter was kept in prison. I love this. But earnest prayer for him was made but to God by the church. I love that. I love it. it says, man, the people were praying. Now, what do you think they were praying? Just general prayers, whether it's just worship, When it's just God, you're good. Say it again, sis. Yeah. Why do I ask these questions? I want us to keep our mind. This is history. This has happened, right? And so they know that James has been killed and they see their leader in jail. So I'm pretty, I think it's safe to say, I agree with my sis Colette that they're like, man, Lord, would you, would you release Peter? Would you, Lord, would you show your power? Right? They're kind of nervous. They're hiding out. Would you release him, Lord? Look what it says. People were praying. Peter's captured in verse six. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, so this is the night, he's about to be killed. He's about to be another martyr for Jesus. That probably would would have rocked the church, for sure. It says, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries, which are these guards, right? Uh, Before the door, uh, they were guarding the prison. And in verse 7, it says, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. Love this. Now, notice this. You ask yourselves, as you're reading the text, what is God trying to teach us from the perspective of of Peter and from the perspective of Herod? Notice this. So, the, the Lord appears here, Okay? Sit next to him, a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up. Get up quickly. Right? And the chains fell off his hands. I'm just picturing this beautiful supernatural work, right? Can you just imagine? Can you imagine? And and that's why Peter thought, man, I must be dreaming. Because chains don't fall off your hands in real life. What is going on? Can you imagine? Don't you long for that? I, I do long for that. And God is real and I've put my trust in Christ. But Lord, I say, Lord, I just want to see your signs and wonders in a supernatural way sometimes. See, you do something, I go, uh-oh, that wasn't human. It says, and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Get up, get dressed, we got to leave. Verse 9, and he went out and followed him. So the angel just didn't leave him. him, let me follow him. It says, he did not know um, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he, that he was seeing a vision when they, they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. So they're just walking past the guards, you know? And, I mean, can you imagine? It's like, are these guys going to wake up? And I wonder, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, was kind of tiptoeing. I'm pretty sure the angel wasn't tiptoeing. Right, I'm sure the angel was like, you know. But it says, um, So you're seeing the vision. He goes past the second guard and they came to the iron gate leading to into the city. And I just love how the author, again, wants to just to show you that just that that sense of the divine pass of what God is doing. He says it opened for them on its own accord. The author didn't have to put that in there. I just love how the author just wants to remind you that God is doing this. So why is God showing us this? Why is he showing you this today? Ask yourself that. Why did he put this in the scriptures for the people of God in the first century during this time. Why were these circulated? It says, and and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left them. That's man, that's jacked up. Right? So Peter, can you imagine? I don't even know what this means. Peter came to himself. So I'm just imagining they walk out, they get on Mac, you know, and and now the angel's gone. And he's like, and it's not only if he came to himself, so was he like you know was he kind of like You know, or I don't know what that means, but what I do know, I'm sure Peter was like, man, where'd the angel go? And he's like, so now what? It's that picture of like, Peter's like, now what do I do, right? So he says, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. And I love this, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. You see? So Herod and the Jewish people were expecting this dude to be killed. They had it all figured out. He had been in jail for a little bit. And they thought, tomorrow he'll be killed. And it's so cool that guy had another plan, and he wanted to show you and me something. Keep that in mind. What is he trying to show us? So it says here. Let me pause here. When I ask myself, "What is he trying to show us?" What's the difference? Did you think about it? What's the difference between James' scenario and Peter's scenario? What's the difference? What's the similarities? What's the similarities? What's the similarities? They're both about to be killed. They both were put in prison, right? What's the difference? One of them was mutilated, right? He was martyred, he was killed. But the person in the exact same situation, may I even propose to you, with more guards, with more people watching him, actually, God said, You're not going to be killed. What is God trying to teach you and me from that? What about his sovereignty? We talk sovereignty. What is he trying to teach you from that? He can do as he chooses. See, what he's trying to teach you and me is that it wasn't that that God could not save James. You hear me? It wasn't that God could not save James. See, when we have hardships and things happen in your life, right? A sad reality of a child dying. A relationship's broken. Family issues. Cancer. You, you just can't get it right at the job. Why does this keep happening to me, we think? Can I trust the Lord? Kid issues. A man not being a man to his wife. She's wondering what's going on. Is God powerful enough to deal with these issues? Is God powerful enough to see what's going on in my life and to help? Is he able? You don't think when James was in prison and Peter and got killed and then Peter was in prison, you don't think the church was asking these questions? You, what do you think the people of God were doing when they were in that upper room? You don't think they were wondering, why is the Lord doing this? Is he able? Is it, is, it, is it just a dog-eat-dog world? Is God, is he, is he a creator? But yet, man, if you get caught in jail, you're just going to die. Is that how it goes? God wants to make clear to you and me, family, because this is, I'm, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced with a first century reader, he wanted to make clear to them that whenever and what God wants can never be thwarted. Do you believe that in your life? If we believe that, I think we just have a different posture. I think our posture would be different of how we do life. If we believe that everything that happens in our journey, the Lord sees it, he ordains it, and he is all over it. That God got you. Your posture would have to be different. If you knew the king of kings had you. That he's going to protect you. That he knows you have job opportunities. That he knows what you go. Well, he, he knows the journey. Doesn't that provide you more confidence? He knows the baby's in the belly. He knows that. So when we had our issue with our kid, w- did I believe that God was sovereign? He's, he's going to do that. without was kind of nervous, Lord. Are you, are you loving enough to take care of that issue in my life? All the scheming of Herod and, and the Jews wanting to get this guy, all of it was for nothing. soon as God said, I'm going to save him. You hear that? Everything, all the stuff they were trying to do meant absolutely nothing. soon as God wants to say, you're going to get a promotion, can't nobody do nothing about that. soon as God wants to say in your life, I'm going to heal you of cancer, there's no second say. No one else can say, well, but, but I, I really, as soon as God says, I'm going to heal your marriage, do we believe that? Yes, sir. I just wonder, like, what, I don't
0: know, like, if you like James better than Peter or whatever the situation is, isn't it weird, like, you get to the end and it's like, okay, well, I was praying what I thought I was supposed to pray, and for whatever reason, God said no, and that's totally fine. He has that prerogative.
1: Like, how does that inform what I'm praying for? So, Josh is asking, how does um, the reality of God's sovereignty, is it, can we turn this down to something? How does, how does God's sovereignty inform our prayer life? Because if God's going to do what he's going to do, and we see these guys praying, and for one guy, I'm pretty sure they're praying for James too. He gets killed, and are praying for Peter, and does get killed. So how does that inform our prayer life, correct? Okay, what i want to do, because we're going to see the evidence of some prayers in this passage, I want to answer that when we get to that, passage, that part, okay? So thank you so much. Uh, so we're asking, how does this inform our prayer life? Look what happens here. Um, he's standing in the street and he's like, now what? And, and, and he's convinced of, okay, God has been glory is, has, has shown his glory here in some way. What is going on here? And we see this happening. If you can turn, I think we have Mark, Mark, um, chapter 10, verse 39. Let me bring it up. So maybe, look, it says, uh, what I, what I, what I, I bring this up because we saw this already proclaimed in scripture that basically, uh, James would probably have to drink the same cup anyway. So, so in essence, uh, as it were, uh, this was already talked about. It says in James and John, the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us, whatever we ask of you. And he said uh, to them, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, this is the brother who got killed. And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, cause they didn't know what they were saying when they said that, right? Cause what cup was Jesus about to drink? Death. Right. He says the cup that I drink. Okay. You will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Uh, and so just that this was even talked about, uh, James dying as it were uh, we see God fulfilling his his plan for his glory but I do want to bring up talk about that that prayer component in a moment we go to verse 12 get down and look at your Bibles verse 12 it says when he realized that he went uh what was going on when he realized this he went to the house of Mary the mother of John whose other name was Mark historically people think this is Mark actually the Mark who wrote Mark um where uh many uh, where many were gathered together and were praying. So here these guys are praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate. Ain't that funny? Okay, so imagine that, right? So he's on the block, he's in the street. He's still nervous. And we're going to see that he's nervous. We're going to see evidence of that, okay? Because he knows if somebody still sees him, he goes back to prison. So he wasn't overly spiritual about this. All right, you know how you can get over the spiritual? God does something supernatural in your life. You think you're invincible, like you got the, you know, the the, the nice little mushroom on uh, Mario Brothers or something. Like, no, he he did not see himself as like invincible. He saw himself as like, look, God bless me, but I need to be aware. So he's outside, he knocks. She's so excited, she's like, oh my goodness! She doesn't open the door. She runs. He's going, hey, open the door, open the door. I'm out here. They're gonna get me, right? And so. She goes, she goes away and recognizes his voice. She doesn't open the gate and it says, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I love this part here. It says, they said to her, you're out of your mind, right? Now, what do you think about that? You know what I love about this? This is like clear evidence of like, um, as it were some faithless prayers. They're praying at that moment for Peter to be released. She says, Peter's at the door. They say, shut up girl, you crazy. Lord, please release Peter, in the name of Jesus, release him, right? I love that, because that reminds me of myself, you know? So, they're like, you're out of your mind, girl. She's like, no, but, it says, but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. You know what? Because you know he dying tomorrow, so maybe the angel, you know, it's his angel, um... But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Awesome. So they're amazed. And it says, but motioning to them, and this is why you know that he was still kind of nervous. It says, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent. Right? Be quiet. Be like, Peter, Peter. Shh, shh, shh. Hold on. Let me tell you what happened. I'll tell you. Let's go inside. Open the door. Right? It's the mindset. Now, to answer Joshua's question that we see right here. I've got the handheld. Thank you, buddy. Give me a moment, please. So notice uh, then they, he comes in and says, uh, "Motion them to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Now I want to answer Josh's question. You're right. <laughs> is that at the end of the day, what we see is in God's sovereignty, we see the people not, not hinder their prayer life at all. But what we do is we submit our prayer life to a sovereign God. And so in our prayer life, we can ask for God's desires. And I always tell people theologically, I I think it's it's, it's, it's irresponsible to say that God, man, maybe he didn't answer your prayer. He answers all of our prayers, okay? But they're either yes, no, or wait, okay? He answers them. And so that's the cool thing about our sovereign God, is when you ask God clearly for something, this scares us. Right. Because you ask God clearly for something and then he'll tell you no. And a lot of us don't want to hear no. Right. But sometimes he'll do that. Right. You'll ask him to heal you from a sickness. You'll ask him to heal your friend from cancer. And we will pray as a local community. And then that person will still die. And I want to propose to you, it wasn't that God did not hear our prayers. He loves his people. He hears our prayers. You know what he said? He said, actually, you don't know all this stuff. I'm going to say no to you. I'm going to have to sadly kill him or her because I got greater glory in my plan that you have no clue about. And that is not exciting for us as people who are not Jesus, who are not God. But that is exciting when we grasp hold and when he spends all this time in scripture over and over again with story after story trying to graft in us a belief in his sovereignty and his goodness. Because when we believe that God is truly good, which is I propose one of the main reasons why we do our things and do our stuff is we have, an, uh, uh, we have a lack of understanding the goodness of God. We don't trust that God is really good. And then we try to fulfill ourselves with our own selfish in t- intentions and desires. So when we believe that God is good, and not only is he good, but he's able to do whatever we say He want, we want him to do, and he's able to do what he wants to do, and he's good, which means we got to believe also in his sovereignty. It makes no sense to have a good God who's not all-powerful. Okay, so we believe, and it's, and, it's, and it's scary to have a sovereign God who's not good. But we're saying when we believe in a sovereign God who's powerful over all things, and that that sovereign God who created you and me, who intimately is involved in our life, is also good, we can rest. And so basically what we do when we come together in small groups and, and our big gathering here, we remind ourselves in a world that tries to tell you and me that God is not sovereign and that if you believe he's sovereign, let me tell you another other thing, then he's not good. That's what the world does all day, all week. He tries to get you and me to believe those two lies. Because if you believe one of those lies, your life will be just dis- discombobulated. It'll be crazy. You'll, you'll always have issues. We'll always have issues. It's when you and I come to grips with God's goodness and sovereignty. Can we now pray? And want to pray, knowing I'm praying to a good God who always answers my prayer. Always. And then no matter what the answer is, I trust him. And you know what? I tell you something. I'm just keeping it, when you become, when you're a parent, it, I mean, it just it just hits you. Because you look at your kid, and they're standing at the, the, the pool, and they're scared to jump in the pool. And guess what? As a, as a loving dad and mom, you know what your issue is? You mad. You know why you mad? You're like, he doesn't trust me? He thinks I'm going to let him die? He thinks I'm going to let him jump in this water, and, 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 and he's not going to be okay? Right? As a parent, we get caught up. Bro, I'm daddy. Trust me. And as a gospel sinner daddy, we go, oh, this is what I model to my father, my sovereign God, who has, I, I know how to swim. I'm standing in four feet of water, and my hands are all over you already, and I'm asking you to jump in and trust me. And they say, no, I, I'm, I don't, no, no. And you're like, do you believe that I that I have enough power to keep you alive? Hey, wait, wait, okay. Do you believe I'm good, that I'm not going to drown you? Because I could have all the power, but if I'm a sick, weird dad, you might still be scared, right? Because you might still get drowned, right? But if I'm a good dad, right, but my arms are atrophy and I don't know how to swim, then I'm impotent. But if I'm a good dad, and I'm a good swimmer, and I'm standing in three feet of water, and I got my hands over my son, why are you scared? And that's what God says to you and me, moment by moment, every day right? That's what he says. Why are you scared? I control everything. You don't have to be scared. I'm good. So I propose to you what he's trying to teach these guys in this moment is that although you've seen one of your leaders die, what I had to do to make it elementary sometime for all of us, right? For all of us to make it elementary, I had to provide almost the same scenario, I'm going to provide the same scenario so you don't go, well, no, it was because he did this and because this happened. No, 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 no. Okay, let me, because I know I got to be patient. This is the father talking. I'm going to give you this scenario and I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to give you the exact same scenario and I'm going to keep him alive even with more issues and show you, believe that what I'm trying to do here, I will accomplish. Do you see that, guys? You see what the father's trying to do with with this local church? You see what he's doing? So, as we move on, he says in verse 17, but motioning to them, he said, he with his hand, he said, be silent, to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, hey, let me tell you what Jesus did. Let me, let me, let me, let me brag about God. And, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, right? Then he, he departed and went to another place. So, he, so, so, guess what? He knew that he was still in a hot seat. Right, they're they're trying to kill him, so he he kind of says, "Hey, tell him I'm cool, but I gotta I gotta get up out of here." So he gets out of Dodge. Right, he didn't over spiritualize it, and, and, and in essence, uh, what the author's doing is he's kind of exiting Peter out. Right, and then you're going to enter in um, Paul as we'll see, as we move on in the scriptures. And in verse 18, it says, "Now when the when day came, uh, there was no little disturbance." Right, check this out. Um, I love this among the soldiers over what uh, had become a Peter, right? You know, you know he, he said that in a, in a more hood way, man. They were, they were, man, they were serious. Like, what is going on? Like, y'all, where's Peter? So you know, you imagine hair going in. Da, 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 I'm gonna get all this glory today. You know, he's walking up to the, and everybody's got their head down, a little nervous, cause you know hair crazy, right? You know he killed cats for no reason. <laughs> so you knew, <laughs> I mean, serious. Can you imagine being the guards? You know you did. You you know you did. <laughs> right? And it says, um, after, uh, and, and, after Harris searched for him, Peter, and did not find him, he examined the guards, right, the sentries, and ordered that they should be put to death, right? Where's Peter? Uh, man, I don't, okay, who's, who's on night shift? All right, all right, y'all come over, stand over here, all right, y'all kill them, right? Killed them because of a blunder, right? And then it says, um, he went down from Judea to, uh, to uh, Caesarea and spent time uh, there. Now, now here's an interesting thing, family, as we were talking. At this point, what's happened to Herod? Okay, Herod had this pride. I want to be the man. I'm going to kill these guys to get approval from people. And then God totally thwarts his plan, right? Totally thwarts it. And you know it was supernatural. And you would think Herod would know it was su- supernatural. At this point, I would think he would say, okay, let me just calm down, right? It's almost like God giving a warning. You ever had that happen in your life? I've had it happen in my life where God is like, you want something? I'm going to totally say no. And I want you to figure it out. And if you keep playing with fire, you're going to get burned. See, some of us need to have that, I think, in our life. Where we keep tempting the Lord. He's like, look, I'm trying to be patient. And this guy, instead of saying, I'm going to stop being arrogant, he continues on. Look what it says. The, Lord, the author gives us another scenario in the, to look into Herod and to see how crazy he was and how his heart was for his own glory. Look at, this, look at this scenario. He should have stopped. It says in verse 20, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded blasphemy, the king's chamberlain, which, which basically means like the guy, uh, the, the word means like literally bedchamber, which, which basically is talking about the, the guy who keeps all the treasure. So this guy is pretty influential, Okay. Uh, and they asked for peace because the country depended on the king's, um, because the country depended on the king's uh, money and thing, country for food, basically. And so, I don't, I remember we talked a while ago about the famine. I don't know if it was that famine, but it is historically accurate that there is a famine going on during this time, which I think is beautiful if, it, uh, if it's the same famine, because it just shows you the fabric of how theology and history works together, and you see it all happening in scripture, Okay. So what you have here is you have these coastal cities. Let's paint the picture so you can see what's going on here. Have these coastal cities uh, that, that are of Syria, and, and these guys are struggling at some level, and they want some food, and they're like, okay, uh, we're gonna be just w- be really nice to Herod, uh, so they'll give us some food, okay? Um, the author doesn't tell you why he's mad because that's not the point. The author wants you to see the arrogance in which we were talking about here. He wants you to see the pride, and it says uh, his, self-centeredness gets, his self-centeredness actually gets worse. Uh, It's not up here? We don't have the verses? Okay, okay. Let me read the verses to you guys. If you want to get your Bibles, you can open them up, or if you have your own Bibles, sorry about that, guys. We're in verse 21. Well, what you can do is you can go to uh, the beginning, James, where uh, Ashley was reading, and just go to those verses. We're in verse 21, guys, and it says... So we have Herod sitting there, the people wanting to get some food. We've got an opportunity for Herod to exalt himself. And it says, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. See this? Check this out. He puts on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. So here's Herod, gets all dressed up, gets his big old throne, you know, and gets all TBN on him. And just kind of like sits there and it's like, oh, look at me. I'm awesome and starts trying to basically bait these individuals to basically give him honor and praise. Cause I'm going to give you food. Okay. So he gives a speech and does all that. And then what God, what does God do? Puts him in his place. Look what it says in the scriptures. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give the glory to God, right? He did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now, what does now, so uh, there's a book for you guys as you're continually uh, doing Bible study and growing in your understanding of Scripture called Josephus Antiquities. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, basically, Josephus was an unbeliever, but who was a Jewish historian. And what he did was he wrote about these times that were parallel during the Bible times, okay? So, so basically, you can go to Josephus. What we love about this is, as, Bibli- as Bible scholars, as theologians, is that when we get unbelievers talking about and questioning the historicity of Jesus and what happened in the first century church, we have Josephus, we have Tacitus, we have a lot of different writings that were happening in those times from people who are saying, I don't believe in Jesus, but I'm telling you, all this stuff is true. Now, I don't get why the conclusion is not salvation, but I'm just telling you that we have many books where Josephus is saying, actually, that happened, this happened, and they're writing the same accounts. Where well, this account is in Josephus's Antiquities, and it's the exact same account. And so I just want to encourage you guys. As you're talking to people, when they, somebody talk about the historicity of the the New Testament Church in the first century and Jesus and what he did, they're they're uninformed. They're, they're historically um, irresponsible because that's not the argument in scholarship. The argument in scholarship is did Jesus rise from the dead. The argument in scholarship is not was he existed. did He do good stuff and all that stuff. So so people are not arguing that. Just let just let cats know when they start tripping like that. Say actually people aren't arguing about that. We now got you. We. It's a faith issue, that erosion from the dead, but people aren't arguing about who Jesus was. So all that to say, in this text here, what he's talking about, here's what happened in, in, in Josephus' um, account. Basically, he says that, guys, he says, uh, yeah, I'm awesome. Man. And they're like, oh, you're a guy. And it says immediately, he started going, uh he started getting a bellyache. All right, and then it says he falls down with the belly ache. All right, he didn't die right then, though. All right, they carried him off. And then for five days, the worms ate him within himself, and he died. Now, this is my commentary. Okay, this is not scripture. That's all, that just happened. That was real. But what I, what I do love about it in a sad way, what I love about that is how God brings this great king down by little bitty worms. I love the I love the 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 beauty of that of God trying to show us like you know what I'm not gonna even do something crazy like hit you with a bolt of lightning or like I'm not gonna even try to show you that you're powerful enough for me to have to waste time. I'm gonna put a couple worms in you and they're gonna just eat you alive. You don't think that humbled Herod? Just a little bit, right? And so he says, he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Uh, and to add himself to injury, right, so, so Herod had an opportunity to say, I'm being, I'm being arrogant. I need to calm down. I don't even know Jesus, but I need to be careful knowing my place. And he didn't, and then God killed him, all right? At some point, God gets to the point where he's like, I'm just going to kill you. And, and you know what's interesting, what I love about this, this passage here for the people of God? So you're sitting there, you're sitting in your, in your upper room, you're praying, is God sovereign? Okay, you see James die? Okay, then you see Peter? Okay, yeah, God is sovereign. But then you got this guy who's trying to wreak havoc on the church just to build his own reputation? Oh my goodness, he drops dead. Okay, okay. and then guess what happens? Insult to injury. What did the Jews want? What did Herod want? They wanted to dissipate Christianity. They wanted to be, to, to just be smothered, correct? What happens? Look at the verse. Verse 4, verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. You hear me? But the word, when you know what The very opposite. Is God sovereign? Is the Lord sovereign? See, they thought, oh, you know what? We'll take care of this, and we'll do this, and this will happen. And God said, oh, you know, and then they, they, and their plans started working, and they're like, oh, we're almost there. And then God, it's almost when you get excited and he just took the carrot away. Up, oh, stop. Now, let me do what I want to do. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to free you. I'm going to grow this body. Just like that. Just like that. So now Jesus is actually gaining more street cred. Why? Because people on the street are going, yeah, that last dude that mess with Jesus, didn't didn't worms eat him? And he dead? What? No, I think I'm going to be a Christian, dude. Right? Guess what? At the end of this, you know what God was trying to show us? Jesus should be exalted, not Herod. That's what he was trying to show the people. Now, and then I propose to you the last verse is about him him introducing uh, Paul back in the scene. And, and getting ready to do some awesome ministry that we're going to see in the next couple weeks. Here's, I'm going to ask some questions, guys, of the, of the local body. What questions are being asked from the text? I always want you to be asking yourself that, about yourself, about our community as we're neighboring. Because um, this, this answers a lot of questions, right? Where, where do you turn when you, when you feel insignificant, right? You feel like, can you imagine a church in the first century? They felt, man, I'm kind of insignificant. We're hiding. We're scared. We're praying. We're trying to be faithful to Jesus. Our leader gets killed. Where do you turn? God says, hey, I got you. Guess what? You don't think people in our body are feeling like that? You don't think people in our community are feeling kind of... Well, what do I turn when I... Uh, I know I know the church is supposed to do, all this, but I don't see the power. What what do I turn? See, no, 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 because you, you you're not looking with gospel center eyes. See, because guess what? You can turn to Jesus, and every still everything still works horribly in your favor, right? You can turn to Jesus and still get killed. And Jesus's point is that's not the reason you turn to me. Jesus' point is you turn to me because I am truly the king. I am truly real, And guess what? I will truly win at the end. At the end of the game, Jesus is trying to show Herod. He's trying to show the first century Christians. Don't get concerned about your external issues. Be concerned about the fact that I will win. Jesus will win. That's his point. What side really wins? You, you're struggling. You, man, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to love my family. I'm, and I just feel like people in the world who don't even care about Christ, they're just lapping me. They're lapping me around the race of the world. They got more money. They got more friends. They have more fun. And, and, and look at us. Here we are in this little old house, and we're trying to walk with the Lord, and we got people fighting and beating each other up, and, and my family's scared to come over. And I'm going, man, well, wh- wh- well who's going to win? It seems like the world just keeps winning. God says, no, 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 no. I will win. And please don't get caught up in those external. The first century people, they had things to look at and go, there's persecution here, there's persecution there. The Jews don't like us. The, the, the powers that be don't like us. We're still trying to figure out, who we, figure out who we are. You know, there was a crazy time. And he says, no, 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 worry about all that. Just know, be faithful because I will win. And, and finally, what, what, what Josh was saying, what if... Um, even with prayer, what if the results I want out of life do not come about? That's the hardest part as your pastor. As I walk with the Lord personally, the hardest part about Christ to me is I want to be able to promise people you come to Jesus and man, your life's going to be awesome. And you're going to have stuff, and you're going to have friends, and, you, and man, you're going to walk down the street, and people are going to like you, and it's going to be awesome. And the job you want, you're going to be able to get it, and, oh, man, and you're going to have good barbecues in the backyard, and it's just going to be awesome. And you're going to have babies when you're going to have them, and you're never going to get sick. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to show you practically, because I'm a human, I want you to be able to tangibly touch the promises that Christ has given you. I want you to be able to say, oh, I came to Jesus, and and Eric was right. Look at all the stuff. And the hardest thing as a pastor, to be faithful with the Lord, is to be able to say to you, come to Jesus because he's everything, and you might not get nothing now. Your life still might be in shambles. The guy that you had sex with and you had a kid with, he might not want to be a daddy to the kid, ever. You might struggle to the... <laughs> you, your addictions, you might struggle with those. And and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta I pray that you and I will will, will not get caught up in externals. Because God doesn't promise those. He promises eternity with the king he promised to be your treasure and to finally give you true life that's what he promises he promises peace and effect that one day he will win the Lord will win not Satan not your flesh but the Lord so Um, so simple right? God is just saying be about his business Um, be about his business. Since I pray for our church, this is be about his business. That's why it doesn't make any sense. I was talking to a friend this morning. I'm like, well, why do you, why do we do that? Why do we, you come here, you move here and to not give it all to Jesus. is like you get the worst of both worlds. Like, why would you kind of like put one foot in Jesus here and have to deal with all the crap of our community and the stuff and what the world tells you. And then you still got people ridiculing you and you get the persecution because you're identifying with this church. That don't even make any practical sense you might as well just jump all the way in because you're already getting dogged. People already think you're weird, right? I'm sorry, I'm screaming. So I'm praying for us to have joy and to be about God's business as a community, to invite people. To, if you're, you've been coming here to be disciple, get in discipleship, get trained up, start pointing to men and women in our community. I hope, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're hearing the gospel. That our trust is in Christ alone here. But I hope you're not just coming here and just getting teaching and doing the things you want to do. Plug in. Let's be about Christ's business in our community. That's what he wanted to tell the people. Hey, you see James, you see Peter. I just want you to know that I'm sovereign. I got this. And although it looks kind of weird sometimes in your own life, and as you're dealing with our neighbors and you're talking with them and they have questions, you can answer them. You can answer them with chapter 12. You can say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I hear you, man. These guys, I'm sure they struggle. But then just go to the text. But look what God is saying. Guess who's going to win? You see all this drama? Guess who's winning? Jesus. You feel insignificant? I'm sure they did too, right? But guess what? Your search for significance doesn't come in cars and girls and all this stuff. Man, you see what happens when you find Christ? Can I warn you, though, I don't know what it's going to turn out to look like for you because I don't know what your life was before Jesus. So there's all kind of consequences that we have to deal with because of the choices that we make. I don't know about all that. What I do know is that God's a cleanser and he's a rescuer and he's a forgiver and he's a lover of your soul. I do know that. And I do know that God tells me that he will begin to work within me, birth me in the Holy Spirit, and he's going to complete it. And one day I'm going to be with the Lord. I know that. And you can, too. You don't think that answers questions in our community? answers questions, guys. Let's go to our neighbors, ask those questions, and let's be equipped by God's grace to answer them. All right? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a time of uh, tithe and offering
0: and then communion.